0: 6. E things were happening at the north. The British sent a fleet of vessels to take Charleston, South Carolina. They hammered away with their big guns at a little log fort under command of Colonel Moultrie. In the battle a cannonball struck the flagpole on the fort, and cut it in two. The South Carolina flag fell to the ground outside the fort. Sergeant William Jasper leaked down, and, while the British shot were striking all around him, seized the flag, climbed back fastened it to a short staff, and raised it to its place, to show that the Americans would never give up the fort. The British, after fighting all day, saw that they could do nothing against palmetto logs when defended by such men as Moultrie and Jasper, so they sailed away with such of their ships as had not been destroyed. Several years later, Charleston was taken. Lord Cornwallis then took command of the British Army in South Carolina. General Green, of Rhode Island, had command of the Americans. He sent Daniel Morgan with his sharpshooters to meet part of the British Army at Cowpens, they did meet them, and sent them flying. Then Cornwallis determined to either whip General Green or drive him out of the state. But General Green worried Cornwallis so that at last he was glad enough to get into Virginia. He had found North and South Carolina like two hornets' nests, and the further he got away from those hornets, the better he was pleased. Footnote twenty-nine. Palmetto Logs, the wood of the palmetto tree is very soft and spongy, the cannonballs, when they struck, would bury themselves in the logs, but would neither break them to pieces nor go through them. 141. Cornwallis and Benedict Arnold, Lafayette, Cornwallis shuts himself up in Yorktown. When Lord Cornwallis got into Virginia he found Benedict Arnold waiting to help him. Arnold had been a general in the American Army, Washington gave him the command of the fort at West Point on the Hudson River, and trusted him as though he was his brother, Arnold deceived him, and secretly offered to give up the fort to the British, we call a man who was false to his friends and to his country a traitor, it is the most shameful name we can fasten on him, Arnold was a traitor, and if we could have caught him, we should have hanged him, but he was cunning enough to run away and escape to the British, now he was burning houses and towns in Virginia, and doing all that he could as a traitor always will to destroy those who had once been his best friends. He wanted to stay in Virginia and assist Cornwallis, but that general was a brave and honorable man, he despised Arnold, and did not want to have anything to do with him. A young nobleman named Lafayette had come over from France on purpose to help us against the British. Cornwallis laughed at him and called him a boy, but he found that General Lafayette was a boy who knew how to fight. The British commander moved toward the seacoast, Lafayette followed him, at length Cornwallis shut himself up with his army in Yorktown. 142. Washington marches against Yorktown, and takes it and the army of Cornwallis. Washington, with his army, was then near New York City, watching the British there. The French king had done as he agreed, and had sent over warships and soldiers to help us, but so far they had never been able to do much. Now was the chance before the British knew what Washington was about. He had sent the French warships down to Yorktown to prevent Cornwallis from getting away by sea. Then, with his own army and some French soldiers besides, Washington quickly marched south to attack Yorktown by land. When he got there he placed his cannon round the town, and began battering it to pieces. For more than a week he kept firing night and day. One house had over a thousand balls go through it. Its walls looked like a sieve. That last Cornwallis could not hold out any longer, and on October 19, 1781, his army came out and gave themselves up as prisoners. The Americans formed a line more than a mile long on one side of the road, and the French stood facing them on the other side. The French had on gay clothes, and looked very handsome, the clothes of Washington's men were patched and faded, but their eyes shone with a wonderful light the light of victory. The British marched out slowly. Between the two lines, Somehow they found it pleasanter to look at the bright uniforms of the French, than to look at the eyes of the Americans. Footnote 34, the flag with the large crosses on it. On the left, is the English flag at the time of the American Revolution. The flag on the right is that which Washington raised at Cambridge, Massachusetts, January 2, 1776. He simply took the English flag, and added 13 stripes to represent the union of the 13 English colonies. The flag in the center, with its 13 stars and 13 stripes representing the 13 states, is the first American national flag. It was adopted by Congress June 14, 1777, not quite a year after we had declared ourselves independent of Great Britain. Beneath this flag is Washington's coat of arms with a Latin motto, meaning, the event justifies the deed. It is possible that the stars and stripes on our national flag came from the stars and stripes or bars on this ancient coat of arms, which may be seen on the tombstone of one of the Washington family, buried in 1583, in the parish church at Silgrave, Northamptonshire, England, 143. How the news of the taking of Yorktown was carried to Philadelphia, Lord Fairfax. People at a distance noticed that the cannon had suddenly stopped firing. They looked at each other. And asked, what does it mean? All at once, a man appears on horseback. He is riding with all his might toward Philadelphia, where Congress is, as he dashes past. He rises in his strips, swings his cap, and shouts with all his might, Cornwallis is taken! Cornwallis is taken! Then it was the people's turn to shout, and they made the hills ring with, Hurrah! 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 Washington's old friend had always stood by the king. He was now over 90 when he heard the cry, Cornwallis is taken, it was too much for the old man, he said to his negro servant, come, Joe, carry me to bed, for I'm sure it's high time for me to die, 144, tearing down the British flag at New York, Washington goes back to Mount Vernon, he is elected president, his death, Raphael visits his tomb, the Revolutionary War had lasted seven years, terrible years they were, years of sorrow, suffering, and death, but now the end had come, and America was free, when the British left New York City, they nailed the British flag to a high pole on the wharf, but the Yankee sailor soon climbed the pole, tore down the flag of England, and hoisted the stars and stripes in its place, that was more than a hundred years ago, now the English and the Americans have become good friends, and the English people see that the revolution ended in the way that was best for both of us, when it was clear that there would be no more fighting, Washington went back to Mount Vernon. He hoped to spend the rest of his life there, but the country needed him, and a few years later it chose him the first president of the United States. Washington was made president in New York City, which was the capital of the United States at that time. A French gentleman who was there tells us how Washington, standing in the presence of thousands of people, placed his hand on the Bible, and solemnly swore that with the help of God he would protect and defend the United States of America. Washington was elected president twice, when he died many of the people in England and France joined America in mourning for him, for all men honored his memory, Lafayette came over to visit us many years afterward, he went to Mount Vernon, where Washington was buried, there he went down into the vault, and, kneeling by the side of the coffin, covered his face with his hands, and shed tears of gratitude to think that he had known such a man as Washington, and that Washington had been his friend. 145. Summary. George Washington, the son of a Virginia planter, became the leader of the armies of the United States in the War of the Revolution. At the close of the war, after he had made America free, he was elected our first president. His name stands today among those of the greatest men in the history of the world. When and where was George Washington born? What did he learn at school? What did he write in one of his writing books? Tell about his sports and games at school. What is said of Captain George? Tell the story about the cold. What did George's mother say? Tell about George's visit to his brother and to the Fairfaxes. What is said of Lord Fairfax? What did the higher Washington do do? Tell about his surveying and his life in the woods. Tell about the Indian war dance. What did the governor of Virginia do when Washington returned? What is said of Washington at the age of 21? Tell about his journey to the French forts and his return. What is said about the Indian guide? What about the raft? What did the governor of Virginia do when Washington returned? What did the governor order him to do? What about Fort Necessity? Tell about General Braddock and about what happened to Washington. What is said about the end of the war? What did King George III determine to do? What did the king want the Americans to do? How did they feel? What did the king say? What did the Americans say to that? What did some of the greatest men in England say? What did the king then try to do? Tell about the T-ships. What happened in Boston? What was done to Boston? What help did the people of Boston get? What did the colonies now do? What did the people now begin to call themselves? What did they call the English troops? Who commanded the British soldiers in Boston? What did he do? What about Paul Revere? What did Captain Parker of Lexington say to his men? What happened at Lexington and at Concord? Tell about the Battle of Dunker Hill. What did many Englishmen refuse to do? Where was Colonel Washington living? What did Congress do? Where did Washington take command of the army? Tell about the sharpshooters. Tell about the march to Canada. How did Washington take Boston? Where did the British go? Where did Washington go? What did Congress do on July 4th, 1776? What happened in New York? What about the Battle of Long Island? What did Cornwallis do? Tell about the victory at Trenton. What happened at Princeton? What city did the British take? Where was Washington's army? What happened at Saratoga? What did the King of France do? What happened at the South? Tell about Sergeant Jasper. What is said about General Green? What did Cornwallis do? Where did he go? What is said about Benedict Arnold? What about Lafayette? Where did Cornwallis shut himself up with his army? What did Washington do? Tell about the surrender of Cornwallis. How was the news carried to Philadelphia? What is said of Lord Fairfax? How long had the war lasted? What was done at New York? What is said of General Washington after the war? Tell how he was made president. What happened when he died? What is said of Lafayette? Daniel Boone 1734 1820 146 Daniel Boone, What the Hunters of the West did, Boone's life in North Carolina, before Washington began to fight the battles of the Revolution in the East. Daniel Boone and other famous hunters were fighting bears and Indians in what was then called the West. By that war in the woods, these brave and hardy men helped us to get possession of that part of the country. Daniel Boone was born in Pennsylvania. His father moved to North Carolina, and Daniel helped him cut down the trees round their log cabin in the forest. He plowed the land, which was thick with stumps, hoved the corn that grew up among those stumps, and then, as there was no mill near. He pounded it into meal for Johnny Cake. He learned how to handle a gun quite as soon as he did a hoe. The unfortunate deer or coon that saw young Boone coming toward him knew that he had seen his best days, and that he would soon have the whole Boone family sitting round him at the dinner table. 147. Boone's wanderings in the western forests, his bear tree. When Daniel had grown to manhood, he wandered off with his gun on his shoulder, and crossing the mountains entered what is now the state of Tennessee. That whole country was then a wilderness, full of savage beasts and still more savage Indians, and Boone had many a sharp fight with both. More than a hundred and thirty years ago, he cut these words on a beech tree, still standing in eastern Tennessee. D. Boone killed a bar on this tree in the year 1760. You will see if you examine the tree, on which the words can still be read. That Boone could not spell very well, but he could do what the bear minded a good deal more. He could shoot to kill. Footnote 3: The tree is still standing on the banks of Boone's Creek, near Jonesboro, Washington County, Tennessee. 148. Boone goes hunting in Kentucky. What kind of game he found there? The Indians, the dark and bloody ground. Nine years after he cut his name on that tree, Boone, with a few companions, went to a new part of the country. The Indians called it Kentucky. There he saw buffalo, deer, bears. And wolves enough to satisfy the best hunter in America. This region was a kind of no-man's land, because, though many tribes of Indians roamed over it, none of them pretended to own it. These bands of Indians were always fighting and trying to drive each other out, so Kentucky was often called the dark and bloody ground. But, much as the savages hated each other, they hated the white men, or the pale faces, as they called them. Still more, 149. Indian tricks. The owls. The hunters were on the lookout for these Indians. But the savages practiced all kinds of tricks to get the hunters near enough to shoot them. Sometimes Boone would hear the gobble of a wild turkey. He would listen a moment. Then he would say. That is not a wild turkey. But an Indian. Imitating that bird. But he won't fool me and get me to come near enough to put a bullet through my head. One evening an old hunter. On his way to his cabin. Heard what seemed to be two young owls calling to each other but his quick ear noticed that there was something not quite natural in their calls, and what was stranger still, that the owls seemed to be on the ground instead of being perched on trees, as all well behaved owls would be, he crept cautiously along through the bushes till he saw something ahead which looked like a stump, he didn't altogether like the looks of the stump, he aimed his rifle at it, and fired, the stump, or what seemed to be one, fell over backward with a groan, he had killed an Indian, who had been waiting to kill him. 150. Boone makes the Wilderness Road, and builds the Fort at Boonesboro. In 1775 Boone, with a party of 30 men, chopped a path through the forest from the mountains of eastern Tennessee to the Kentucky River, a distance of about 200 miles. This was the first path in that part of the country leading to the Great West. It was called the Wilderness Road. Over that road, which thousands of emigrants traveled afterward, Boone took his family, with other settlers, to the Kentucky River. There they built a fort called Boonisboro. That fort was a great protection to all the first settlers in Kentucky. In fact, it is hard to see how the state could have grown up without it. So in one way, we can say with truth that Daniel Boone, the hunter, fighter, and road maker, was a state builder besides. 151. Boone's daughter is stolen by the Indians. how he found her? One day Boone's young daughter was out with two other girls, in a canoe on the river, suddenly some Indians pounced on them and carried them off, one of the girls, as she went along, broke off twigs from the bushes, so that her friends might be able to follow her track through the woods, an Indian caught her doing it, and told her that he would kill her if she did not instantly stop, then she slyly tore off small bits of her dress, and dropped a piece from time to time, Boone and his men followed the Indians like bloodhounds, They picked up the bits of dress, and so easily found which way the savages had gone. They came up with the Indians just as they were sitting down round a fire to eat their supper, creeping toward them behind the trees as softly as a cat creeps up behind a mouse. Moon and his men aimed their rifles and fired. Two of the Indians fell dead. The rest ran for their lives, and the girls were carried back in safety to the fort. 152. Moon is captured by Indians. They adopt him as a son. Later. Boone himself was caught and carried off by the Indians. They respected his courage so much that they would not kill him, but decided to adopt him, that island take him into the tribe as one of their own people, or make an Indian of him. They pulled out all his hair except one long lock, called the Scalp Lock, which they left to grow in Indian fashion. The squaws and girls braided bright feathers in this lock, so that Boone looked quite gay. Then the Indians took him down to a river. There they stripped him, and scrubbed him with all their might, to get his white blood out, as they said, next, they painted his face in stripes with red and yellow clay, so that he looked, as they thought, handsomer than he ever had before in his life, when all had been done, and they were satisfied with the appearance of their new Indian, they sat down to a great feast, and made merry, 153, moon escapes, but the Indians find him again, while a handful of tobacco dust did, After a time Boone managed to escape, but the Indians were so fond of him that they could not rest till they found him again. One day he was at work in a kind of shed drying some tobacco leaves. He heard a slight noise, and turning round saw four Indians with their guns plumped at him. Now, Boone, said they, we got you. You no get away this time. How are you? said Boone. Pleasantly, glad to see you, just wait a minute till I get you some of my tobacco. He gathered two large handfuls of the leaves, they were as dry as powder and crumbled to dust in his hands. Coming forward, as if to give the welcome present to the Indians, he suddenly sprang on them and filled their eyes, mouths, and noses with the stinging tobacco dust. The savages were half choked and nearly blinded, while they were dancing about, coughing, sneezing, and rubbing their eyes. Boone slipped out of the shed and got to a place of safety. The Indians were mad as they could be. Yet they could hardly help laughing at Boone's trick, for cunning as the red men were. He was more cunning still. 154. Boone's old age, he moves to Missouri, he begs for a piece of land, his grave. Boone lived to be a very old man. He had owned a good deal of land in the West, but he had lost possession of it. When Kentucky began to fill up with people and the game was killed off, Boone moved across the Mississippi into Missouri. He said that he went because he wanted, more elbow room, and a chance to hunt buffalo again. He now begged the state of Kentucky to give him a small piece of land, where, as he said, he could, lay his bones. The people of that state generously helped him to get nearly a thousand acres, but he appears to have soon lost possession of it. If he actually did lose it, then this brave old hunter, who had opened up the way for such a multitude of emigrants to get farms at the West, died without owning a piece of ground big enough for a grave. He is buried in Frankfort, Kentucky, within sight of the river on which he built his Fort at Boonisboro, 155. Summary. Daniel Boone, a famous hunter from North Carolina, opened up a road through the forest, from the mountains of eastern Tennessee to the Kentucky River. It was called the Wilderness Road, and over it thousands of emigrants went into Kentucky to sell. Boone, with others, built the Fort at Boonisboro, Kentucky, and went there to live. That fort protected the settlers against the Indians, and so helped that part of the country to grow until it became the state of Kentucky. Tell about Daniel Boone. How did he help his father? Where did he go when he became a man? What did he cut on a beech tree? Where did he go after that? What is said of the Indians in Kentucky? Tell about Indian tricks. Tell about the two owls. Tell about the wilderness road. What is said of the fort at Boanisboro? Tell how Boone's daughter and the other girls were stolen by the Indians. What happened next? Tell how Boone was captured by the Indians and how they adopted him. Tell the story of the tobacco dust. What did Boone do when he became old? What did Kentucky get for him? Where is he buried? General James Robertson and Governor John S. E. V. Iyer 1742-1814, 1745-1815, 156. Who James Robertson was, Governor Treon. The Battle of Alamance. When Daniel Boone first went to Kentucky 1769 he had a friend named James Robertson, in North Carolina who was, like himself, a mighty hunter. The British governor of North Carolina at that time was William Treon. He lived in a palace built with money which he had forced the people to give him. They hated him so for his greed and cruelty that they nicknamed him the Great Wolf of North Carolina. At last many of the settlers vowed that they would not give the governor another penny. When he sent tax collectors to get money, they drove them back, and they flogged one of the governor's friends with a rawhi till he had to run for his life. The governor then collected some soldiers and marched against the people in the west. A battle was fought near the Alamance River. The governor had the most men and had cannon besides. So he gained the day. He took seven of the people prisoners and hanged them. They all died bravely, as men do who die for liberty. Footnote 3 Robertson was born in Brunswick County, Virginia, he emigrated to North Carolina and settled in the neighborhood of Raleigh. See math in paragraph 150, 157. James Robertson leaves North Carolina and goes west. After the Battle of Alamance James Robertson and his family made up their minds that they would not live any longer where Governor Treon ruled, they resolved to go across the mountains into the western wilderness. 16 other families joined Robertson's and went with them. It was a long, hard journey, for they had to climb rocks and find their way through deep, tangled woods. The men went ahead with their axes and their guns, then the older children followed, driving the cows. Last of all came the women with the little children, with beds, paws, and kettles packed on the backs of horses. 158. The emigrants settled on the Watauga River in Tennessee. When the little party had crossed the mountains into what is now the state of Tennessee, they found a delightful valley. Through this valley there ran a stream of clear sparkling water called the Watauga River. The air of the valley was sweet with the smell of wild crab apples. On the banks of that stream the immigrants built their new homes. Their houses were simply rough log huts, but they were clean and comfortable. When the settlers put up these cabins, they chopped down every tree near them which was big enough for an Indian to hide behind. They knew that they might have to fight the savages, but they had rather do that than be robbed by tax collectors. In the wilderness Governor Trion could not reach them they were free, free as the deer and the squirtles were, that one thought made them contented and happy. 159. John Sevier goes to settle at Watauga, what he and Robertson did. The year after this little settlement was made John Sevier went from Virginia to Watauga, as it was called. He and Robertson soon became fast friends for one brave man can always see something to respect and like in another brave man. Robertson and Sevier hunted together and worked together. After a while they called a meeting of the settlers and agreed on some excellent laws, so that everything in the log village might be done decently and in order, for although these people lived in the woods, they had no notion of living like savages or wild beasts. In course of time President Washington made James Robertson General Robertson. In honor of what he had done for his country, out of the settlement on the Watauga River grew the state of Tennessee. A monument in honor of John Sevier stands in Nashville, a city founded by his friend Robertson. Sevier became the first governor of the new state. 160. Summary. James Robertson. Of North Carolina. And John Sevier. Of Virginia. Emigrated across the mountains to the western wilderness. They settled on the Watauga River. And that settlement. With others made later grew into the state of Tennessee, of which John Sevier became the first governor. What friend did Boone have in North Carolina? Tell about Governor Treon. What happened on the Alamance River? Where did Robertson and others go? Where did they settle? Why did they like to be there? Tell about John Sevier. What did he and Robertson do? What did Washington do for Robertson? What state grew out of the Watauga settlement? What did Sevier become? Where is his monument? General George Rogers Clark 1750-1818. 161. The British in the West, their forts, hiring Indians to fight the settlers. While Washington was fighting the battles of the Revolution in the East, the British in the West were not sitting still. They had a number of forts in the wilderness, as that part of the country was then called. One of these forts was at Detroit. In what is now Michigan, another was at Vance In what is now Indiana, a third fort was at Kaskaskia. In what is now Illinois, Colonel Hamilton, the British commander at Detroit, was determined to drive the American settlers out of the West. In the beginning of the Revolution the Americans resolved to hire the Indians to fight for them, but the British found that they could hire them better than we could, and so they got their help. The savages did their work in a terribly cruel way. Generally they did not come out and do battle openly, but they crept up secretly, by night, and attacked the farmers' homes. They killed and scalped the settlers in the West, burned their log cabins, and carried off the women and children prisoners. The greater part of the people in England hated this sort of war. They begged the king not to hire the Indians to do these horrible deeds of murder and destruction. George III was not a bad-heart man, but he was very set in his way, and he had fully made up his mind to conquer the American rebels, as he called them, even if he had to get the savages to help him do it. 162. George Rogers Clark gets help from Virginia and starts to attack Fort Kaskaskia. Daniel Boone had a friend in Virginia named George Rogers Clark, who believed that he could take the British forts in the west and drive out the British from all that part of the country. Virginia then owned most of the wilderness. For this reason Clark went to Patrick Henry, governor of Virginia, and asked for help. The governor liked the plan, and let Clark had money to hire men to go with him and try to take Fort Kaskaskia to begin with. Clark started in the spring of 1778 with about 150 men. They built boats just above Pittsburgh and floated down the Ohio River, a distance of over 900 miles. Then they landed in what is now Illinois, and set out for Fort Kaskaskia, 163. The march to Fort Kaskaskia, How a dance ended. It was a hundred miles to the fort, and half of the way the men had to find their way through thick woods, full of underbrush, briars, and vines the British, thinking the fort perfectly safe from attack, had left it in the care of a French officer. Clark and his band reached Kaskaskia at night. They found no one to stop them. The soldiers in the fort were having a dance, and the Americans could hear the merry music of a violin and the laughing voices of girls. Clark left his men just outside the fort, and, finding a door open, he walked in. He reached the room where the fun was going on, and stopping there, he stood leaning against the doorpost, looking on. The room was lighted with torches, the light of one of the torches happened to fall full on Clark's face, an Indian sitting on the floor caught sight of him, he sprang to his feet and gave a terrific war whoop. The dancers stopped as though they had been shot, the women screamed, the men ran to the door to get their guns. Clark did not move, but said quietly, Go on, only remember you are dancing now under Virginia, and not under Great Britain. The next moment the Americans rushed in and Clark and his long knives, as the Indians called his men, had full possession of the fort. 164. How Fort Vincennes was taken, how the British got it back again, what Francis Vigo did. Clark wanted next to march against Fort Vincennes, but he had not men enough. There was a French Catholic priest at Kaskaskia, and Clark's kindness to him had made him our friend. He said, I will go to Vincennes for you and I will tell the French, who hold the fort for the British, that the Americans are their real friends, and that in this war they are in the right. He went, the French listened to him, then hauled down the British flag and ran up the American flag in its place. The next year the British, led by Colonel Hamilton of Detroit, got the fort back again. When Clark heard of it he said, either I must take Hamilton, or Hamilton will take me. Just then Francis Vigo, a traitor at St. Louis, Came to see Clark at Kaskaskia. Hamilton had held Vigo as a prisoner, so he knew all about Fort Vincennes. Vigo said to Clark, "Hamilton has only about 80 soldiers. You can take the fort, and I will lend you all the money you need to pay your men while you owe them." One hundred sixty-five. Clark's march to Fort Vincennes, the ground lands. Clark, with about 200 men, started for Vanson The distance was nearly 150 miles. The first week everything went on pretty well. It was in the month of February. The weather was cold, and it rained a good deal, but the men did not mind that. They would get wet through during the day, but at night they built roaring log fires, gathered round them, roasted their buffalo meat or venison, smoked their pipes, told jolly stories, and sang jolly songs, but the next week they got to a branch of the Wabash River. Then they found that the constant rains had raised the streams so that they had overflowed their banks, the whole country was underwater three or four feet deep. This flooded country was called the Drowned Lands, before Clark and his men had crossed them they were nearly drowned themselves. 166. Waiting on to victory. For about a week the Americans had to await in ice-cold water, sometimes waist-deep, sometimes nearly up to their chins.